It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show. Uh, this is where we connect the dots between the emotional, the mental, the physical, and the spiritual selves. And if 2020 taught us nothing more, it taught us how important it was to be physically healthy and to keep our immune system strong and our inflammation level low. And we're going into 2021 with that same understanding. So. Um, I'm going to direct people to my website, www.SynergyConnectionRadio.com, and Boomers Forever Young has a link there. And if you click on their link, you can go and look at all of the products they have. They're world-class health products um, that do that very thing as far as keeping us strong uh, physically and our immune system functioning at a high level. But there's one product in particular I would like for you to look at, and that is the Gladiator Barley. It is a sprout, people. It's not a grain. And so it is gluten-free. It does take inflammation out of the body. It rebuilds muscle. We lose 1% of our muscle every year after the age of 50. So if you're moving into your 60s, you've already lost 10%. If you're older than that, you've lost more. Uh, the barley can rebuild muscle and it also reduces inflammation. So check that out if you decide that you want to order any other products. If you use my name, L-U-C-Y, and the promo code, you'll be able to get $5 off of each and every order. And I have as a returning guest, my personal friend, Kristen Gieslin. And Kristen is going to be talking to us about some new things that she's involved with and she's referring to herself now as the empathy enhancer which is kind of a cool term to use um, she has enjoyed three decades of um, create uh, creatively i guess i should say contributing to nationally recognized award-winning nonprofit or grant funded programs and about 10 years ago she began focusing on the development of her four major Clairs, which are intuitive abilities and we all have some of that um, it's just that some people are more gifted and she certainly is very gifted most recently she's been fostering the development of other intuitives and she provides life transforming belief change sessions um, and that is something that uh, will help people organize uh, their thoughts probably better uh, she's working with community leaders healers artists and others that are seeking mind, body, spirit, wellness. And so, Kristen, why don't you talk a little bit about this uh, empathy enhancer? Um, I know what enhancing means, and I know what empathy means, but how do they work together? Well, sure. You know, um, empathy is really hot right now on the best-selling books list. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm never, I'm never, like, on the trends. It's like I've been doing the things, whatever the trends are, I look at the trend and I think, oh, I've been doing that for 20 years or 30 years or whatever. And, you know, I, that was deeply how I functioned, you know, early in my life. So the empathy enhancement idea is that you can, you can solve problems in businesses or organizations more effectively when you apply empathy. 
which is the organizational work that I'm, you know, looking to do more of. And then empathy enhancer in terms of, you know, when I mentor individuals who are exploring their intuitive clairs, people who are empaths and developing their intuitive abilities, sometimes there's some difficulties that go along with that. And so by, you know, kind of sharpening their energetic boundary setting skills, by just being more, you know, aware of how uh, their energy is affected when they go into different settings and these sort of things, their quality of life can be much higher. So it's, it's wonderful to be an empath and have intuitive gifts, but there are some, some things sort of like special care and feeding of empaths that we mm-hmm. have to be aware of. And for people who are not even clearly aware that they have intuitive gifts or they are empaths, they can be impacted negatively um, in ways that they're not aware of. You know, I, when you say that, um, probably about, gosh, maybe 30 years ago now, 25 years ago, I remember working with somebody who, you know, would say that they had walked into a room and then they felt nauseated because they were picking up energy or situations that didn't belong to them, but they nevertheless, you know, it it went in. And so, you know, that typically is an empath who has no awareness and yet they're being impacted every single day. Exactly. And a lot of the people that I've worked with over the last two or three years, when I started doing intuitive readings, immediately the other intuitives, readers, psychics, healers were the people who showed up mm-hmm. for me for readings. Mm-hmm. I think it was because I'd already put so much time into my own spiritual development that that was just the level that the universe set for me mm-hmm. was to work with those people. So I quickly started becoming aware of the sort of special issues and challenges that budding intuitives run into. Right. And for me personally, in terms of sort of rebranding myself as the empathy enhancer, it's because uh, for a long time, you know, for 40 years, I worked in what we would call, you know, organizational environments, okay, businesses and, and places that were structured. And for the last 10 years, was it 40 years really from 20? No, not that long, 30. From 20, from 20 to 50, 30 years, I was in those environments. And then for the last 10 years, I've worked, um, you know, our seven years, I've worked independently. So I was like, you know, where is the common thread? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, it's empathy. Okay, it's the same empathy that made me good at creating excellent service delivery systems where other people could not figure out, you know, why aren't the people taking advantage of these services we're offering or why aren't our staff following, you know, what the training protocol was to do ABC. I was always able to sort of figure out the answers to those problems like easily. Mm -hmm. And the basis of it was that I had empathy, number one, And then I have to admit that, yes, I'm a bright girl and I have education, but these Claire's were also assisting me to solve those situations, you know, all the way along. So for me, I want people to understand that the empathy thing is not like so woo. Mm-hmm. It could be woo. If you take mm-hmm. it to a high level, empathy can become woo. Mm-hmm. But day-to-day empathy just makes life, you know, you can live more harmoniously with other people and you can solve more problems and have more fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is, I see empathy as being on a continuum. You know, it can be kind of basic everyday empathy or it can be very high level, subtle, you know, into the intuitive Claire's empathy. Right, right. 
Um, I guess a question that I would have is, you know, when you were looking at nonprofits, um, you know, and helping them, what was the reason you kind of went that direction? Was it because of empathy, because they were nonprofits? Well, when I first started my life um, back in college, I started praying because I had started doing a lot of meditation. I took a course called the psychology of consciousness and we had to do a project and I started meditating and I'm thinking okay I'm popping out of college with a four-year degree and I did I did have a relationship with you know some kind of higher power right you know right away from the meditation I'm like okay what am I supposed to be doing with this education show me where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do Mm -hmm. so you know a lot of people don't come to that kind of mindset until much later in their lives after they've had some kind of breakdown or crisis or disaster well, for me, it happened, you know, pretty much right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first year after college, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I worked as a nanny, this and that. And then I saw a position advertised to work with drug and alcohol addicted youth, adolescents. Mm-hmm. And I had a bachelor's degree in psychology, so I met the basic requirements. And I, I applied and I got that job. And I really learned the fundamentals of how to do constructive case management and also really, you know, what it means to create a therapeutic environment Mm -hmm. um, by working there. You know, we staffed every case uh, every week. So we'd have, you know, five or six, seven professionals in the room all talking about all the different clients. Mm -hmm. And I basically learned the essentials. It was almost like a paid internship, honestly, because the pay (laughs) was so low and I was, you know, green out of college. What did I know? But, um, I learned so much in that environment, but I think I was just called to service, you know, Mm -hmm. right away. Would you have chosen a different one if, if you, looking back, You know, my dad really wanted, he knew I had fine tastes, okay? I had been raised with a lot of nice things. Mm -hmm. My my family had enough money that I, you know, went out to dinner, traveled to other countries, you know, this sort of thing. And uh, my dad was like, oh, you need to get a corporate job because you like nice stuff. (laughs) And yeah. And I was like, no, dad, I, I don't need to get a corporate job because that falls flat for me. You know, there was nothing about that that attracted me. It just seemed like, first of all, it seemed odd, like I didn't relate with it. And then as time went on, not too much time, but shortly thereafter, there was more things going on with the economy and different stuff and and sort of some of the underbelly of the corporate world started Mm -hmm. to reveal itself. So then retrospectively, I I think I was intuitively sensing into that and I knew that was not for me. Mm -hmm. I did not want to take my hard-earned meditation efforts and my college effort that I had put out and, and give it to someone who might do something bad with it. I just, I wasn't willing to do that and the corporate world might have they could have it wasn't it wasn't they definitely would have but Mm -hmm. I didn't even want to take the risk you know I was (laughs) just like no I don't think that's a good idea I just I'm not 100% sure they're always up to you know good things so I figured well if I have the opportunity to work somewhere where I know they're doing good things why not do that right right (laughs) so when you look now you know at your uh, four players that you have Mm -hmm. and, and they're finally developed right um could you maybe give people kind of a basic understanding of what those are because they may have them they may have one or two or three or all four of them and just not realize oh yeah absolutely um i actually meet people frequently i feel that the universe sort of i don't know if it's some kind of um 
like an energetic vortex or something around mm -hmm. me that draws these type of people to me. Mm -hmm. Because I do often meet people that have some kind of, you know, one of these clairs or two and don't always know. Right. But right. I can tell by the way they interact with me and by the things they say that they do. So there are four main clairs and then two more. So they go with your senses. Each okay. clair is associated with a sense. So, so clairvoyant, there's clairvoyance, which is related to seeing things. Clairaudience, which is related to hearing things. Claircognizance, which is knowing stuff that you shouldn't know for any good reason. Mm -hmm. And then there's clairsentience, which is sort of like um, where you feel things in your body uh, not a feel. It could be an emotion, but often it's actually a physical sensation. Such an as empath, and, and you could be an empath and feel more people's emotions. But like, uh, if I'm doing a reading for someone or theta healing or something, sometimes I'll feel like a tightening in my throat. And that might tell you that they have trouble expressing themselves? Yeah, that would be the throat chakra, which is the expression. But mm -hmm. it, that could be creative expression. It could be saying to, you know, saying their truth, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Generally, I don't try to interpret it. Generally, mm -hmm. I'll just say, you know, I'm feeling this here. And mm -hmm. then they'll tell me, you know, something. You know, Could it ever be related, I guess, to a thyroid issue, for instance? Oh, sure. Yeah. And, you know, um, in my other system that you know that I do, the Bism system, mm -hmm. we always look at the body first. Mm -hmm. Okay, because, and, and I learned this through my career. Later on in my career, I worked with children, special needs, zero to five. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we would do is check them for any kind of physical issues. Are they lead poisoned? Are mm -hmm. they tongue-tied? Do they mm -hmm. have a hearing impairment? Mm -hmm. Because you can't get to anything developmental until you know what's what going on. Exactly. Yeah. And so, no, in my practice, you know, I, uh, it's interesting that you would bring up something medical because I feel that my future may be in the medical medium universe. But I always ask people to follow through with all of the things you would normally do to take care of yourself on the physical level. Mm -hmm. Because your thoughts and your consciousness may have brought something into manifestation, but once it gets to the level of physical, you have to deal with it at the, le at the physical level. Mm -hmm. And then work backwards, is the way I see it, to change your lifestyle, your thoughts or beliefs that, that brought that into you know, the physical. Right. You know? yeah. So, um, so yeah. you, you and I were talking before the show started uh, about the fact that um, I recently had a physical done and um, you know I've had a lot of stress in my life for a little over a year that I just kind of it, it's chronic it's it's something that's on the back burner but it, it nevertheless is there and I learned something that I had I really was not aware of um, and that is that our vitamins um, B is in boy and D is in dog those two can be impacted by chronic stress sufficiently enough that your iron levels will go down. And so, you know, your bone marrow makes iron uh, in the blood. And the fact that if you're under uh, chronic stress, then your bone marrow can't operate properly and you're going to show up very low, you know, at testing for iron, which in turn can create other issues. So I know with an earlier show with, uh, uh, Doug Warner, who, uh, you know, he and I do shows together, but we had been talking about how stress is the elephant in the room in relationships. And so that's just kind of interesting how it all works together that, you know, we have to be so aware, you know, whether it's using these clairs or whether it's just understanding our bodies, you know, what damage we might be doing unintentionally 
Oh, yeah. Nobody ever signs up to yeah. say, you know, I'm going <laughs> to deliberately, you know, cause my B and D to go down and drop my iron, you know. So, and and part of these clairs really, you know, is that key thing of awareness. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about seeing or hearing things, it's not like you see it in the way like, like a projector kind of seeing. It's right. like you see it or you hear it. In, if you think of like the concept of your mind's eye. Right. Like if you were to imagine something, right. that's sort of the level. But in a way, it is not imagined, okay, because the way I see it is that there's sort of like this energetic matrix between all of us. And it just so happens that... The matrix movie. Yeah, it just so <laughs> happens that some of us can tap into that matrix a little more than others. And mm-hmm. so we're just getting raw data. You know, it's not we're not making anything up. That information is just already there. When you first noticed that you had these abilities, were you just out of college at that point? No, or? no, it happened before. The big one was when I was 15 years old. Um, you know, 15-year-old girls are not always, like, you know, whip-smart in terms of <laughs> sensibility about the world. Uh-huh. And I had um, decided that I wanted to go to a mall, and I lived in northern Pinellas County, which required that I would take the bus. Uh-huh. And I was, I think I was going to meet my friend, too. So I'm sitting at the bus stop, and, you know, it's annoying. You're 15. You want to get going and do your thing. And the bus isn't coming, and so someone offered, a man offered to give me a ride in this car. And I took the ride. I said, yes, I'll take the ride. And you didn't know him? No, stranger. Oh. Complete stranger. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so my boundaries were not in very good shape, clearly, right? Right. Or I thought I was invincible something. But the cool thing was that like two to three weeks before that, I had had this dream that I was absolutely fighting for my life in the dream oh i was trying to fight this person off and he had taken me to the clearwater beach causeway and was attempting to rape me and in the dream i i mean this is what's happening in the dream and i was absolutely soaked with sweat when i woke up from the dream i mean that's how intense of an experience i was having internally while it was happening Mm -hmm. and i woke up and sat straight up like if you've ever had a really bad dream where you're just like you wake up and you're like like that and i was sweat i was completely soaked with sweat because that's how much effort i had been exerting in the dream Mm -hmm. so then as we're driving down 19 from northern pinellas county toward you know clearwater mall it occurs to me, oh my, bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> this is the dream. The mm. dream is happening now. And so he asked me if I wanted to go out to the causeway. So, of course, I'm like, oh, no, I can't go out to the causeway. I have to meet my friend who's waiting for me at the mall and is expecting me at ABCB time. You know, so uh-huh. in that, you know, it was like... You know, girl, girl, 15 year olds got no common sense, but somehow, you know, the uh, powers that be that run the universe said, no, this is not meant for you. And so I was able to get out of having to have that actually happen in my life. So I was 15 when that happened. So from then on, you listened. Well, yeah, more. And I had been doing some yoga before that, which come to find out is another way to really open up your intuition. Mm -hmm. I had been doing yoga with Lilius Fallon like every day after school. And I had been doing meditation and praying and all this stuff. So 
Um, so things, you know, things were starting to happen. And I knew about psychics and psychic phenomenon. Like it was part of stuff I had been exposed to. In fact, in, in I think it was my 10th grade year in my psychology class, they were doing reports. And I begged my teacher if I could please do a, a report on psychic phenomenon instead of like regular psychology. I was already interested in the woo at that time. And mm-hmm. he let me do it, which was remarkably forward thinking that he would allow very, that. Very much so. And, and I was kind of a nerd. You know, I was kind of like a spiritual geek nerd girl. And I didn't really relate that much with a lot of the peers at that time. And... Um, I guess I was so excited about this presentation that it came off well. And people afterwards that didn't know me from whoever would come up to me in the hall. You know, they came up to me in the hall and said, oh, that was so good. It was so fun. It was so interesting. So, you know, there was a little spark of encouragement from the universe, you know, as far back. You're going in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, like, some of the people that you've been helping that are... Budding intuitives, I think, is the term that you use. Mm-hmm. But um, if if there is a commonality, what what are you seeing? One of the things I think that happens for many people when they when their worldview starts to shift, like mm-hmm. they start to have some what we would call you know extrasensory or paranormal experiences. One of the first things is they question their own sanity. You know, they'll be like, okay, I think I just had this experience. Am I losing it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And because no one has really said, you know, there's other dimensions of, of sensing and other things going on than, you know, what you normally experience with your five senses. Most people have not been taught this, trained in it, or, no. you know, have had no real. So these things start happening and people are a little disoriented usually mm-hmm. at the beginning. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, they there's there's even a term for it. It's called psychic emergency. Mm. You know because it, you know your worldview is is shaken up. You know it's like you you're in that little snow snow globe and you know it's getting shaken around and you're like flying you know this way and that way and that's how people kind of feel. Mm-hmm. So people who are experiencing this need grounding. You know and they need soothing and they need reassurance because. So how do you teach them to do that? Well, you know, the first thing is like go with, hug a tree. <laughs> well, one of the one of, first of all, you know, my reaction when I'm just like, oh yeah, you're having a psychic emergency. They're like, what? There's a word for this, you know. And of course, a lot of people know, but there's a lot of people that have never heard that. They don't no. know that there's like, you know, this is common to you know for people with with budding into intuition, and you know, they also you know it also also often shakes up their religious life. Like if they've grown up in a structured religion religious environment um, they may have to reevaluate like this whole set of beliefs that they've been running their lives with uh-huh. and that can really disturb you know your sense of place in the world and how you organize yourself so people often have to go kind of through a reevaluation process and sort of restructure that and find a new way that fits for now based uh-huh. on these new experiences that they're having Um, And, you know, in terms of the question of, you know, how do I recommend that people ground, you know, everybody is different. Mm -hmm. You know, people have their own ways of doing that. But it's more about helping people be conscious of when they are grounded or ungrounded, you know, at the beginning. Because people, first of all, don't know what that means, you know, at first. But, you know, even if you just think of common terms that we use, like, oh, that person's really spaced out. Well, if you're spaced out, you're not grounded right now, you know? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, or, you know, people can say, oh, well, I really feel like I have traction. So there are words that we have in our 
vocabulary, normal talk that relate to these, uh, you know, more energetic experiences? I think um, for you, if I recall correctly from past discussions, you know, water is one of your grounding devices. And for me, it is. If I can get my feet in water, not a bathtub, but like over by the Gulf of Mexico or someplace where there's water, then it has a, a very calming effect. And uh, so that's been true for you as well. Yeah, and even I take breaks during the day for myself. Like if I'm doing a session with someone, mm -hmm. after that session, I go outside and I walk barefoot on the earth. I'll mm -hmm. walk around in my yard. I put my hands in dirt. Mm -hmm. So the dirt also is convenient mm -hmm. for me for that purpose. I have potted plants or I mm -hmm. go play in the backyard, walk around on the earth. Um, and I find just going back and forth between, you know, the virtual, um, you know, electronic interface and the real nature world mm -hmm. or pet my dog, have a dog. So, mm -hmm. inter you know, interact with the dog. So it just depends on the person, you know, what the best way for them is to ground. But the main mm -hmm. thing is for them to be able to start to be aware of when their consciousness is becoming extremely diffuse mm -hmm. and you know they i try to sort of open and close and and i have boundaries for what i let into my psychic portals mm -hmm. which you can do you can set boundaries you know so for instance you know there are some people who, who are hearing too much or they're seeing too much they can set boundaries and say no i don't want to see that much you know show me less I have a question to ask you because I, I think that there are health professionals that listen to this show. And something that I've noticed personally is I'm, I'm working with an individual who has a very serious health condition. And um, it was diagnosed after he got exposed to a poisonous, uh, very toxic resin. Mm. And so he inhaled it and basically it's like it's given him ALS. Right. And he doesn't have the true ALS, but he has all of the symptoms gotcha. of ALS that came from this toxic resin. Right. So I've noticed when I work on him doing um, some healing energetic work mm -hmm. that it takes so much out of me that I can only do it for a, a short period of time. Right. Um, because my energy is just flying into him trying to do whatever it needs to do to kind right. of fix things. Yep. And um, so somebody who is a healer, you know, by profession, uh, or maybe they're just a healer because they have that ability, um, how would they, you know, like you were talking about boundaries and making sure that you don't give away too much, too much. Right. Yeah. I think that takes practice for mm. one thing. It's not something that you just wake up knowing how to how do. To do. Um, but there's lots of different types of visualizations. You know, generally it has to do, you know, you're, you're using something that's not seen. Usually it mm -hmm. involves mm -hmm. an, an energy field, color, um, a container of some kind, um, even observing yourself. Like for you, Lucy, the suggestion I would have is to check before you start touching the patient, like review your energy and see how full you feel. Mm -hmm. You could even say, spirit, show me how full I am. You know, and I'm sure you're going to get a, some kind of clear response. Mm -hmm. And then you could also say, Spirit, tell me when I'm getting, um, when I should go no lower with my energy. Uh, okay. You know, ask for clear guidance. Guidance. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you might not be able to get there intellectually. Clearly, that's mm -hmm. not going to happen like that. So you have to ask for it in a different different right. kind of like a way. Like maybe show me a red light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Says, yeah, you know, or stop. just, right, make it clear to me. Mm -hmm. Let me know. And, you know, stuff like that. Or, you know, there's the zipper thing. There's the pink bubble, you know, putting yourself in a bubble or envisioning your energy field and zipping up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of different ways that 
you can do it. Um, but the main thing is being conscious, you know, once again, it's back to awareness, you know, like you're, you're aware that, okay, after I work after on this guy, I feel really drained. And it is probably the tendency of many healers, empaths, energy worker type people to give more than we probably should. Sure. So, or for, for our own, you know, highest and best and taking care of our own health and wellness. So in that case, you want to also always be sure that before you do that work, that you are pretty full. You know, don't set yourself up to go there in a time. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around on Facebook about I'm allowed to not take a call to check my boundaries. I'm allowed to cancel the point to protect my energy. I'm allowed to not take a call to protect my energy. I'm allowed to take a nap to protect my energy. And, and it's just interesting to me how many people are now becoming more conscious and aware of their energy field mm -hmm. and I find you know there's a certain time of day for me between like three and five my energy is really low mm -hmm. and after nine I, I'm good from nine to nine those are my open for life hours you right. know before nine <laughs> I don't want to know about it after nine I don't want to know about it you know I, I have it set on my phone so I do not receive any calls after nine yeah you, no one should who, mm -hmm. who should be receiving calls after 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. unless it's an emergency yeah, you know emergency no only. And, you know, your body needs time to restore. Even lately, I shared with you that I have kept getting um, from my card readings for myself, winter contraction. Okay, I was dating. I see this winter contraction. I'm like, okay, winter contraction is not dating. Okay, so I stopped. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a break until spring, which is only two weeks away. But it was like four weeks away when I started this. Mm -hmm. I realized, no, you need to not have your iron in every fire now. You need to contain more of your energy now. Right. This was a clear message from my guides. You know, this is what needs to happen. Right. One of the things that um, Bruce Lipton um, is an amazing guy that is, you know, has done so much in the field of um, science and um, spirit, quantum physics yeah. and things like that and understanding this vibrational. And I think I, I mentioned to you maybe before we started the session that he refers to our bodies as virtual reality suits. And that we are then containers in that virtual reality suit. So if everybody sort of imagines that we're this wonderful vibrational frequency, maybe different colors, but a wonderful energy that gets poured into this little infant and then it grows over time, you know, the body does, but it nevertheless continues to experience life through our five senses, which, you know, you're talking about these four plus two additional ones. But that is how we learn, that we learn about life and about uh, the exchange of energy between us and animals and plants and the environment and being aware, you know, that whole awareness. Right. And these clears are just, you know, the, they're the same senses on a much more subtle level. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. other ones, some people are can have clear smelling, like a clear of smelling mm -hmm. or a clear of tasting. I have the smelling one a little. Okay. Sometimes I smell cigarette smoke oh, or I smell okay. incense. Okay, so cigarette smoke, I, I feel, is when other people are smoking that I don't like, or when someone is trying to blow smoke, 
okay, if someone is trying to deceive me or delude me, I, I smell cigarette smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, the incense is the opposite. The incense is like, oh, that's auspicious and very good. And oh. it doesn't happen like all the time, but sometimes it happens. And then the the taste. I don't think I've had clear the clear tasting at all. And then we were talking about there are other types of psychic gifts. There's uh-huh. psychometry, which is where you touch an object and you can feel, you know, what the energy like. If you like, some people. This is a very ancient thing. Like, there was a woman in this area years ago that you would give her a piece of your jewelry and she would hold it and then she would tell you about yourself. Oh, so she could cool. feel, you know, yeah. who you were. And I remember once as a young person, a friend of mine was going to put her kid in a drug alcohol retreatment program. This is funny foretelling of where I ended mm-hmm. up later. Mm-hmm. One was um, a private organization that kind of was a little on the conservative maybe a little authoritarian side Mm -hmm. and one was a little freer and a little more open a little more peace love and understanding and she said she didn't tell me which envelope came from which one and she said I want you to touch these envelopes and you tell me because I guess she saw these gifts in me this was long before I was doing anything professionally and which one you think feels better so, of course, I picked the peace, love, and understanding one, right, you right. know. And so that's where she put her kid. You know, she had to make a choice because she had a child in trouble, and she had to make a choice. And, and that and was she the just, better choice. She wanted a confirmation. You know, mm-hmm. she wanted a confirmation because that's what she thought, but then she wanted somebody else who she thought was energetically sensitive to confirm that. Hmm. Um, you know, I guess you have a, a show that you like right now called Hidden Brain. Yes, yes. And so tell me about that. Okay, so part of being like a good reader or empath or a good person at large mm-hmm. is to be aware that the brain has certain little habits, okay? It has little tricks it likes to do to be able to manage all the information that's coming in. <laughs> and these things become basically can turn into biases that can show up as racial biases, economic biases, biases that are field related, like I was looking them all up and some are like common in psychology, some are common in financial worlds. There's actually little sets of different types of biases for different industries. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's fascinating. So part of why it's so important to plot, to, to do your best to apply wisdom and compassion is that you pretty much have to assume that there are probably three or four biases about any particular situation that's going <laughs> on right now that are operational in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you may be able to take time to reflect to figure out what those are, but like right lickety split in the second when you have to respond, you might not be able to get underneath those. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have ongoing issues with situations, I think it's really useful to see what are the beliefs or biases. You know, biases and beliefs start to weave together, um, you know, that are driving the train. And this is just, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the splitting we see in our culture right now, a lot of the division comes out of these unconscious biases. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, whether it's, uh, you know, do you take a vaccine or what political challenges are you up against? So Yeah, so it's just, I just think we all need to understand that it's sort of like the good and the bad, okay? Without these ways for our brain to manage information, we would all be overwhelmed and not be able to function at all. We'd never leave the house. Right. (laughs) On the other hand, if we don't look at them and shine a light on them and explore them some, then we're going to be run by them. 
So that's not good either. So, you know, it's, it's, I feel like the biases are sort of part of the ego, you know, and we, we like our ego because it helps us function in the world. Okay, we don't like our ego when parts of it get worn out and it's sort of like bad old software that's not working well anymore, that we need to upgrade the software. So in some ways, that's what I feel like the belief change work I do. is sort of like, um, you know, it's like, fine, the computer, the hardware is fine. There's nothing wrong with your brain. There's nothing wrong with your heart. There's nothing wrong with your intention, but you got old software running in there. Right, and you might need to update it. Exactly, it's time for a software update. Because I have people, like I had one client recently, and I could tell, partly because of conditioning of her own past, that she's like, oh, my my sister says I need theta healing. And she's kind of like, oh, is there something broken about me? It's like, no, honey, there's nothing broken about you. You know, your mind is great, you're on a spiritual path, you're intuitive, all these wonderful things. It's just this old software. And we continuously have to look at what software is running you know you know the the thing that comes to my mind when you talk about old software too is we're exposed through social media through constant news through I mean there's so much information out there that even 50 years ago certainly wasn't there um, like it is today and so you're bombarded by you know you need to think this way or you need to have this belief that it's no wonder that people are really confused. Yeah, uh, part of it is the amount of um, manipulation. I, I mean, I will call a spade a spade. You know, Madison Avenue got very, very good at getting us to do exactly what they wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who have just said, you know, I don't want to be on that bus. You know, I'm going to live in a tiny house or I'm going to get a bus and convert it. I don't want a, you know, a 30-year mortgage that I'm tied to one spot and I can't move around and we can't change jobs or we're in trouble now because, you know, we got laid off from our corporate job. A lot of people are just saying, no, that is not, I, I need health and wellness. I need fresh food. I need, you know, I need to spend time with my children. You know, they're just making different choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it was okay, you know, it's sort of like that nuclear family in the house. But even house sizes went crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, like suddenly, you know, all the, almost all the new build houses are gigantic. And they take up so much energy to heat and cool them. And for people just to keep those mortgages and keep them clean and all that, they're like life consuming. Um, You know, in the 1950s, the average house size was like the size of my house. It was like something like a thousand square feet or 900, you know, a a small, Mm -hmm. you know, the average Mm -hmm. house size was small and and you didn't have four bathrooms. You know, you had one bathroom or maybe one and a half or two if it was really, you know, extensive. Right. And a whole family actually managed with that remarkably. Right. Well, and but people spent more time outdoors. That's true. People did spend more and time. And we weren't on devices. And, you know, so all of that has changed tremendously, too. If, if you had a yard and you were climbing trees and you were playing hopscotch and riding your bicycle, then you came home to eat and go to bed, take a bath and go to bed. And I can remember, you know, boys in particular that would stay out until it was dark and they'd have on their handlebars... You know, maybe it was a fishing rod, maybe it was a baseball glove, or maybe it was a football that was in a, you know, basket or something. But they took what they wanted to experience with them, and they came home at the end of the day. Well, I did that, too. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I, I had a girl, my next-door neighbor girl, we had a fort that was, you know, several blocks from the house. And we needed to borrow, like, my mom's shovel and all these things. She's like, all right, you can take it, but you better bring it back. I promise <laughs> you're bringing back my shovel. And, you know, we were busy making forts, and we would be gone. You know, on the weekend days, we would sometimes pack a lunch, and mm-hmm. we would be gone all day. All day. Yeah. And the other part is that 
parents knew their kids were safe. Yeah. You know, they knew where they were and they knew where they could go find them if they needed to. Today, I mean, you practically have your children on a tether because you have to know, you know, take your phone with you. If I need to call you, if you if you need to, maybe part of that is because our society became so much more transient, and you didn't really know who your neighbors were anymore. And so you didn't have those long-term relationships. I don't know whether I ever told you this story, but I have told others. But when I was five years old, we lived in a small town in Indiana that was very, very, very safe. I think it still is today. But um, I would get upset with my mom, who was probably spending, in my mind as a five-year-old, more time with my two brothers than with me. And if I'm five, you know, then there's one that's three and there's one that's one. And so obviously she has to spend more time. But I remember leaving. Did I ever tell you this story? No, I don't think I I I heard this story. I used to pack a little suitcase. I would put my doll in it and a book in it. And I can remember that so clearly. And I would say to her as I was leaving... Well, I'll see you sometime, you know, something like that. And um, and mom would look at my little suitcase, and she would know that I, I was intending to leave the home. Um, but she also knew I was coming back, you know, that she didn't have to say, well, wait a minute, you go to your bedroom, and you sit down on your bed and think about it. No. She just was like, okay, well, I'll see you whenever I see you kind of thing. And out the door I would go. But I had a great big block. It was like a city block, and all the houses were pretty good-sized homes with big yards. So there was probably in the whole big block, there might have been 12 houses total. And I knew who lived in almost every one of them because we had gone on walks. And so the neighbors would always be there. And when I would get done visiting with each person all the way around the block, and it might be two hours later, and again, I'm five years old. My mom would see me coming in the door and I would say, oh, I'm back now. And she'd say, well, I'm so glad you're home. And that would be the end of it. I know. That's, I used to do the same thing. Okay. I would make the rounds. Uh-huh. And I guess this was normal for kids to just get bored, want to get out, see some other people. Mm-hmm. The the people across the street, there was one lady that was a baker. So you get cookies over there. <laughs> and then there were, you know, and maybe play a game. You know, mm-hmm. there were kids in some of these places. Right. You know, hop in for a game. Then go down the street to, you know, the other sisters that live down. Yeah. And, and today, if you had a five-year-old that said, I'm leaving... You would go bonkers because, you know, just like with your um, person that picked you up at 15, yeah. you at least had the insight to go, here's my dream becoming a reality. Yep. And I need to change the outcome. Yep. Um, as a five-year-old, they don't have, most of them don't have that kind of no kind insight. Of, no, of course not. So, you know, to, to let them go out today, they could be picked up, molested, killed, who knows. By anybody. So isn't it sad that our world has come to what it is? And you know, I just, I'm so, I so wonder if there's really more of that now than there ever was, or if the... Just awareness. Or, yeah, maybe just a greater awareness of mm-hmm. it. Plus, we're being shown it constantly. Right, and maybe that's part of the downside, okay, mm-hmm. and I, I know I'll speak for my mother. She gets very... Uh, shall we shall we shall we say agitated mm-hmm. with the she calls it the fear mongers mm-hmm. okay the amount of bad negative information yeah. that mm-hmm. gets shown to us constantly right because you know when you put people into a state of fear they can't really function creatively right and it is kind of a way of controlling the masses absolutely and it's just not a nice thing no it's absolutely not nice I mean if you think about it when you drive down a highway where there's been an accident and everybody slows down 
you get the gawkers. You know, they, they have to, you know, look and see how bad was the accident. Is there anybody that's laying on the ground? All that. And I think our news and our social medias and whether it's uh, TikTok, or maybe not so much that, or Instagram, but, but it's like the shock and awe. Yeah, it's almost happening at a biochemical level, mm-hmm. okay, that we're so used to so much agitation mm-hmm. and so much um, flipping from one thing to the next and all that that we don't know how to be calm and stay calm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, that whole nice little lifestyle that we had all those years ago where we could take a walk and know we were safe or we could lay out in the yard and look at clouds or we could go you know, get in a, a little boat. I have a friend that, um, you know, had a pram as a, as a young boy. And, you know, his mom would know that he was in his pram and he would be looking for crabs or, you know, small fish or something. But she knew he was safe. Um, and there would be people watching, you know, for everybody. And we just don't have that. We're staying, I mean, even with COVID, unfortunately, we're being told to stay apart. Don't hug. Don't, right. Don't breathe right. The well, same air. I think there are some places where they do. I think these communities are smaller yeah. and they're more intentional now, you know, yeah. and they're just not neighborhood based. You know, it used right. to always be neighborhood based. Right. So there still are safe, you know, intentional groups of people that look out for each other and all that. It's just, you know, that geography thing. Um, was very special. You know, it was mm-hmm. a special time when you knew all the people from two blocks this way to two blocks that way. Mm-hmm. And everybody grew up in that same environment. So you knew all the kids. All the kids knew each other. You know, yeah, there. that's definitely a bygone era. I feel privileged that my child had some growing up years yeah. where she was able to run around the neighborhood and, and hang out. Safe. and Yeah, and feel yeah. safe and hang out with right. the other kids. Yeah. Does the halo effect figure in here? Yeah, all? all of these. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole bunch of them. There is confirmation bias. That's the type of loss refers to tendency to seek out information that supports something you already believe. That's something that's going on tremendously. And mm-hmm. social, where did you hear it from? That well, that's social media. Yeah. That's right. that's what that's what Facebook is doing. Right. Sorry, Facebook and other social media outlets is they're feeding us things that we already believe. Well, and how many people? I mean, I know you know these individuals. And I do. But how many people think that if they heard it on Fox, it's true? If they heard it oh, on right. CNN, it's true? Right. And they so have they like un, unyielding faith to one particular provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's see. There's some other of these. Oh, there's um, in-group bias. Okay. So this is the type of bias refers to how people are more likely to support or believe someone within their own social group, okay, than an outsider. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so once again, it's sort of like what we're talking about. Okay, that's part of my social group, Fox mm-hmm. or whoever, or mm-hmm. whoever is part of my social group, so I will believe them. Well, right. I'm going to give you a good example here, and unfortunately this is very true today, but um, if you're in the health profession, because of the natural bias, they believe that all vaccines are okay. And so, therefore, you should be getting a flu shot or this new COVID vaccine or whatever because they're in the medical field, therefore, they know. And yet, I've talked to doctors and nurses who are saying, eh, maybe not so much. Um, and so, it really depends upon, you know, the bend. I mean, do you just bl- like a blanket acceptance that it's safe? Right. And here's the thing. The reason I'm bringing up these biases is it's sort of like biases and and information conglomeration and all that is sort of like the antithesis 
of intuitive sensory awareness mm -hmm. okay one is on one side and one is on the other right, side right. and we cannot be all the way over in the woo 24 7 okay right. because those people are usually ungrounded and often not mentally balanced but we also can't be over here in these hard crystallized boxes all the time either and function effectively right you have so, to find that middle ground. finding the middle ground exactly so there's you know the halo effect yep this bias refers to the tendency to allow our impression of a person company or business in one dominant influence overall impression of the person or entity okay for instance a consumer who enjoys the performance of a microwave that they bought from a specific brand is more likely to buy other products from that brand. Okay, so, but we know just because they make good microwaves doesn't necessarily mean they make good dishwashers. Exactly. Okay, so, but, but yeah, and so, you know. The car industry is that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, you know, there's the status quo bias. This is a really interesting one. The status quo bias refers to the preference to keep things in their current state while regard with while regarding any type of change as a loss so unfortunately sometimes we're like that too as human beings we want it to just be the way it is you know mm -hmm. and if sometimes change is good you know mm -hmm. but it's always you have to evaluate on a case-by-case -case basis right. so how do you you know as we kind of conclude our show today how would you recommend that people practice this conscious awareness i think you need you need to come you need to use both your left and your right brain for okay. one thing and okay? so keep them balanced yeah having facts and data and information is valid and good and mm -hmm. you know basically this kind of is where i finally realized the the life that i had before working in in uh, nonprofit organizations and doing actual helping in the real world and my woo life were not antithetical to each other that my and i for so long you know when you come out as an intuitive you're worried that the left brain people will think you're nuts Right. And But when we go up to a higher level, when we go up to Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and Matt Kahn, they're not saying science or spirit. They're saying science and, and spirit. spirit. And Greg Braden's another one. And Greg Braden. And it's like, okay, those are all men. Well, I'm Kristen Geislin. I'm a woman. And I'm saying science and mm -hmm. spirit because mm -hmm. I've lived it. I've mm -hmm. lived the scientific method right. and, you know, and you quantitative and spirit. Yeah, you can achieve so much more. If you blend them, I mean, because then doors open that would not be normally open and awareness has happened that, you know, you wouldn't normally have. And we can solve problems and be more creative mm -hmm. and have more for everybody and have more fun and joy. Yes. You know, so, hey, you know, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, why don't you share with everyone how they can get hold of you oh. and um you know if if they would like to explore you know this budding intuitive side of themselves and take some classes with you okay great my name is Kristen Geeslin and my phone number is 727-678-3761 usually best to text on that or leave a voice message if you don't reach me I'm also on Facebook as my name, Kristen Geeslin, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-G-E-E-S-L-I-N-M-S. That's my professional page. And my email address, again, is my name, Kristen Geeslin, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-G-E-E-S-L-I-N, number two, at gmail.com. And I also just want to invite any nonprofit or service-focused organizations, you know, to, to let me help you solve your service delivery issues because I worked in pretty much every kind of nonprofit organization you can imagine over 30 years in education. And I, 
I have a knack for for helping either your staff or your clients, you know, do the kinds of behaviors that they need to do, you know, to get the results that you really want to see for them. Can you maybe give an example to somebody who's listening to this going? I yeah, sure. That, like, okay. for instance, when I worked in workforce development, um, in order for people to take advantage of, like women to take advantage of the education benefits, which means you can't work two part-time jobs usually, or three mm-hmm. jobs, you need to maybe work one job or one part-time job or something, they needed to have housing. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the housing system was so confusing, the way it was set up in Pinellas County, that I couldn't even direct them as to how to access that information. So I went to all the housing agencies and I said, I need a flowchart. Make me a flowchart of who I tell what based on where they live in this county. Who do they go to? How do they access you? You know, that's a very simple thing. Mm-hmm. So then every single person who came into my orientations when I worked in, you know, the reemployment, uh, public reemployment system, I would hand them this. Mm-hmm. Look, if you want to go to school, if you want to take advantage of what we have to offer, you need to get on housing. Mm-hmm. And it would take sometimes two years. To get on housing. To get on housing. Wow. So they couldn't go to school in that period of time, maybe. Well, they would have to wait. But see, that's a one-time thing. So let's say you're trying to do too many things, and you use your school benefit, and now you drop out, you don't get that again, ever. That's Mm -hmm. your one time, and you've blown it. So, you know, glitches like that. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes the system says, oh, yeah, we have all this stuff for you, but they don't figure out how to put it all together. They don't make it practical. Do they still have the program? Because um, I know when I was in Wisconsin, they did. And I don't know now whether they have these kind of things down here in Florida. But it was called a displaced homemaker program. So if somebody got divorced, they were 55 years old, they never worked, they raised children, then what? I believe that was federal funding, and then it went to the states, and I don't know if that's still a grant that exists. The grants change all the time, so Mm -hmm. you really have to be up to snuff. But then I also worked like at uh, Pinellas County Head Start, and they had a mandate to get 50% of their teachers to an associate's degree level, you know, for early childhood education in X number of years. And unfortunately, nobody had really managed that. They were given like a million dollars to get the job done. And I was called in at, you know, 11.58 in the time frame to fix what had not ever been really put together. Yeah, you've got two minutes to do it in. <laughs> exactly. And I did, actually, because um, because I was able to use my claircognizance and, mm-hmm. you know, other things within 90 to 120 days we had put into place a really streamlined thing that made it possible for people. These were first-time college students Mm -hmm. whose families, you know, this is the first-generation college person. And they were failing algebra horribly, college algebra. And, of course, everyone fails college algebra. It's like, don't, you know, don't have any shame for that. I I got, I think I got a D the first time, and then I was going to fail it the second time. But I did take the credit and take the D and just move on. The point being, they didn't know that they could access free tutoring at the college oh, because okay. they're first-time college goers. Sure. Okay, they didn't know that um, they could apply for financial aid to maybe do a complement of different classes that maybe Head Start wasn't going to pay for that weren't mm-hmm. early childhood mm-hmm. that would make them you know, have a stronger degree when they finished. Sure. You know, there was just so much information that they didn't have, and that up to that point, the, the Pinellas County Head Start hadn't been able to pull together. You know, for right. whatever reason, that hadn't been handled. Right. So, you know, it was easy for me to figure it out. I had an inside person on that job, that situation that helped me enormously, and without her, I could never have done it because she knew all the 
ins and outs of what had transpired historically. But, you know, they didn't have, um, there was no way for the, for Head Start to know the grades. So here they're paying for, they're paying for these classes, but they didn't know what the grades were. So I created a gigantic release of information so that, you know, whatever classes Head Start paid for, that data would come back. Oh, I actually found this work that I did a long time ago, and there was like form after form after form that I made up to try to create the structure to give success. And then I also provided guidance. Like there were some people that maybe didn't want the early childhood degree, but they wanted a degree in education. But if they took some courses right now in early childhood, they could satisfy Head Start's mandate and be moving toward their personal goals. So So sometimes it's difficult when the organization has an agenda, the federal government has an agenda, the employee has an agenda. How do you get all that stuff to line up so everybody is meeting the criteria that they need to for their funding and for their personal development, et cetera? So if somebody is out there listening to Kristen describe what she can do for you, Um, You know, be in touch with her and let her see if she can guide your company, whether it's a small company or, you know, a large one, um, towards more uh, productivity, more success, more happiness for everybody, including the owners and the employees. Yeah, and that's another area. Sometimes, you know, staff are not performing, you know, the way they need to. And it's not that they don't want to, but they're really not clear about what the expectations are mm-hmm. or they're missing some skill sets or they, there's, you know, miscommunication. Nine right. times out of ten, something's not getting communicated. Well, isn't that true in life? <laughs> yes, exactly. But sometimes we have to feel safer. We have to feel something has to shift, mm-hmm. you know, in order for mm-hmm. us to have those difficult conversations and to really get down to brass tacks about creating productive plans of how to achieve goals. Well, and like Bruce Lipton says, you know, we only, in reality, spend 5% of our time being creative, solving issues when we could be spending a whole lot more time. If we would learn to, you know, put the emotional, the spiritual, you know, the intellectual and the physical, if we can kind of coordinate all of that together, then I think our lives as humans can certainly move up the ranks, you know, to being a happier, more fulfilling life. Yeah, and absolutely we can. I, I have great faith in humankind that yeah. I, I believe that we will realize that this is one planet and uh, we have one planet's worth of resources. I right. mean, of course, I'm sure we're going to go to space and find more there as well. But for the moment, this is where we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being my guest today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And for everybody that's listening to the program, um, again, you know, check out Boomers Forever Young and uh, see if there are some products there that might help you on that physical level to live, you know, the healthy lifestyle that you want to live. Please come back and join us again. Uh, We will be going to a Tuesday-Thursday combination uh, for the podcast in the very near future. But I hope everyone goes out there and makes this your very, very best life. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give
give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.